pray with me as we look at the scriptures this morning? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's always our privilege to be in this space at Sheridan School. We're grateful. We pray that um, your presence would be felt here every single day, that the students and the teachers and the administrators would be encouraged, uh, that the children would be ready to learn when they come, that uh, there would be your shalom peace in this building, that the engineers would be able to do their work, and that the learning that you intend to take place here would take place. Thank you for inviting Mill City Church into the life of this school. We continue to pray your blessing on everything they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. When I used to work at a bank, which is a long time ago now, we have any bankers in the room? All right. No, they don't want to raise their hands. When I used to work at a bank, talking about the boss was a regular pastime. Okay? I was young. It was my first job out of school. And it seemed like the regular thing that you did when you didn't know what to say to your coworkers was say something about the boss. Okay? So I was getting used to this, and I, I wanted to fit in. And sometimes they said positive things about the boss. But most of the time, it wasn't that positive. And um, one time, there's an email chain going around. And someone forwarded it to me, and it was kind of like a, add a snarky comment about the boss email chain. I, like I said, I was maybe 22, 23. So somehow I forwarded the email with my snarky comment to the boss. So I want to know, by a show of hands, if you've ever felt that gut-wrenching feeling where you sent something off to the wrong person that you didn't intend to. Yeah, some of you. I heard recently that Gmail has a thing where you can get it back if you remember in the first 30 seconds. I could have really used that feature back then. It's funny now, but in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Not only have I thrown myself under the bus, but I threw all these other people under the bus that were part of this email chain. I was not a popular person in the office for a little while. But it also kind of shocked me a little to go, what am I doing? Like, what? why am I making fun of this guy who I work for and I ought to respect? And why am I just jumping in? Like, as sort of weird corporate world peer pressure that I got going on right now where I'm just trying to go along with what everyone else is doing. I end up having to have a conversation with my boss face-to-face -face and apologize. Like, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I don't want to be that person. Uh, I'll, try to, I'll try not to engage in that anymore. I think that at work, whatever your work is, when people know you're a Christian, you have an opportunity to build God's reputation in a way that you don't even always realize. So today, as we're continuing our conversation about faith and work called For the Sake of the World, we're going to talk about opportunities that we all have to build God's reputation in the way that we engage at work. So maybe you can imagine a scenario, maybe you don't have the exact same situation that I was in, but imagine a scenario, especially this morning, about the way people talk about each other in your workplace, okay? For whatever reason, I really felt like that's the thing we, we should focus on this morning. Maybe you're in a workplace where everyone is very respectful and does a good job of building each other up and giving each other credit for, for the work that they're doing. Uh, or maybe you're in a workplace where it's really toxic. 
and people talk about each other constantly behind their back, and nobody ever has conflict face-to-face, -face, and it's bad. People are not treating each other well, and it affects the work. Whatever your situation, when you are a Christian, and people know that you're a Christian person in your workplace, how you live at work has a direct impact on how people view God. And so it's really, really important to think about how your faith influences the way in which you live in your workplace. For the sake of the world as Christians, for the good of the world, we are called to build up God's reputation with those who don't know God. Amen? That's part of our calling. God works through us to show the rest of the world who God is. So I want to look at a text this morning. If you have a Bible or a smartphone or a tablet, you want to look up 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read a text that has a good amount of challenge in it about how we're supposed to engage with the world. And the background on this particular text is that Peter is writing to a number of different church communities, not just one church community. And those church communities are living in a cultural setting where most of the other people aren't Christians. How many of you in your workplace would say, it's not a distinctly Christian workplace? You can't assume Christianity in your workplace. Yeah, most of you, right? So 1 Peter's a great book as a whole because he's writing this whole instruction to say, how do you live when you don't get to control the culture? How do you live when you just have to find a way to do what you're supposed to do within a structure that you didn't create and that you don't control? And so as, as Peter is writing to these folks, he calls them foreigners and exiles. People who do not shape the environment that they're in, but they have to live in that environment anyway. I was talking to a guy this week who works on starting new churches and helping people start new churches, and I'm not sure if his stat was right because I didn't check it, but what he told me was that right now, the best estimate is that 12% of people in the Twin Cities regularly go to church. 12% of people regularly go to church. 88% of people regularly don't go to church. And if any of those people work with you, then you going to church in any amount is going to be an odd thing, right? And so it's even more important as we live in a post-Christian culture to recognize the opportunities that we all have as foreigners and exiles in a culture that we don't control to build God's reputation for the sake of the world. So one other thing you need to know about this text before we read it is that it is drawing on something called a household code, okay? And a household code is just a, an assumed way that people live in the average house, okay, in the first century. So you might think of the household code in your own house, like these are the rules we have with my roommates or with my brothers and sisters or whoever I might live with, or these are kind of the ways we do meals at our house. Everybody in the room has a household code of some kind that you live with day in and day out. And Peter is addressing how certain people should live in the midst of those assumed ways of life as he's writing this to them. So let me read you this text, and then let's unpack it a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives 
among the pagans, pagans is not a negative word, it's just a description of people who don't believe the same thing as they believe. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves or God's servants. Show proper respect for everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is a particularly interesting text because in the last number of months, I've gotten a lot more questions from you about how we're supposed to think about government and Christians engaging in the political structures that most of us have very little control over other than our voting. And so hopefully this conversation will help to inform how do we understand our role in the world when increasingly as Christians, we don't necessarily control cultures and we certainly don't control the government in, in any of its forms. We have influence over it, but we don't control it. First Peter, in Peter he's saying, first of all, avoid sinful desires that wage against your soul. So last Sunday we talked about whether or not the world is mostly a good place or mostly a bad place. And my response to that was there are elements of both of those things in everybody's life. So the world is a really good place and it's also a really evil place. And we're in the midst of a battle every single day between those forces. And what Peter's saying here is, when you're in the midst of the battle between good and evil, there are going to be things that come into your life that try to tear you down, that wage war against the core of who you are, your soul. And the, the easiest way to describe those things in the 21st century are the dangers of money, sex, and power. The idols of money, sex, and power. You can't go through a day in the 21st century without having some of the evils of money and sex and power wage war against your soul. That's the world that we all live in. doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're in the middle of your life or you're, the, or you're older, you are experiencing money, sex, and power waging war against your soul. And we ought to all call that out and say, it's important as Christians, if we're going to live in a world that's conflicted, to name the temptations that we face, especially in those three categories, and avoid whatever temptations that we face, and encourage each other to avoid the negative impacts that can come from letting money define our lives, or letting, or letting sexual relationships and sexual desires define our lives, or letting the, um, the desire for power and control over our lives be the thing that dominates our existence. He says, avoid those sinful desires so that, in one way, you can live such a good life that the people around you who don't believe will see the way that you live your life and attribute the goodness of your life 
to God when God visits us again. There's a daily testimony to the way in which believers live their lives and follow Jesus that will continuously speak to the people around you who don't necessarily believe. So a shorthand way to say that is to live such good lives that people want to know more about Jesus. What if one of your primary goals with every day you went to work was to live such a good life that people wanted to know more about Jesus? What if that was your code as a Christian, that you went to work thinking, the primary thing I'm doing today is to try to live such a good life that someone notices and wants to know more about Jesus? We have all sorts of modern-day household codes, ways assumed ways of living. Some of them are really negative. Maybe in your workplace, everyone is just looking out for themselves. Maybe everyone's just trying to maximize the amount of money that they make. Maybe they're just trying to get credit with the boss for something they did or didn't do. Maybe they're just managing their image with everybody around them. Maybe you live in a place where it's really competitive and cutthroat and hard to get along with the people around you. Maybe you live in a space where everyone is so busy and so strapped and has so little margin in every area of their life that people are so stressed that they snap at the smallest things. Some of our ways of life in the 21st century seem to be causing a lot of us to be living on a very thin margin. So what if living such good lives among people who don't believe in the 21st century means not trashing your boss? What if it means giving credit to your coworkers when credit is due? What if it means being concerned for the good of the organization, not just your own life or your own career path? What if it means speaking up for people in your workplace who clearly don't have as much voice as you do if you have that opportunity? What if it means sharing what you do at work, outside of work? What if it means coming and saying, can I tell you about the amazing song we sang at my church yesterday and how it impacted me? Can I tell you about one thing that, that we're doing as part of our church that is really amazing? If 88% of your coworkers don't go to church, wouldn't it be a good idea to tell them once in a while some good thing that's happening at your church? And maybe even invite them to join you? It is a mission field. Every workplace is a space where you have an opportunity to live such a good life that someone else might want to know something about Jesus. Living well at work means having an attitude that going to work or school is an opportunity to build God's reputation. Work can be really hard, and you might spend a lot of time thinking about how to get out of work or how to retire, and I understand that. But it's also the primary place that most of us have a chance to interact with people who think differently than us. It's the primary place where you have meaningful relationships with people who don't believe the same thing as you and have the opportunity to live such a good life among them that they might wonder about Jesus. That's why talking about faith and work is so essential. What if the Christian way of life, what if the household code for Christians in the 21st century rejected busyness created financial margin in our lives and valued relationships with other people above everything else. Do you think people would want to know more about Jesus if that was the assumed understanding of how Christians lived? 
we have an opportunity to live differently in the midst of a world that increasingly doesn't care about what God thinks. Moving on in this passage, uh, one of the harder parts to understand here is when he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Doesn't that sound awful when you read it? Submit yourselves to every human authority, whether it's the emperor or... Okay, so put that into your work context for a second or your school context. Submit yourselves to every person who's in authority. But what if the person in authority is terrible? What if the person in authority is treating people poorly? The way to understand submission here is really, is really key. Submission means that we're finding and occupying our place in society, not resigning ourselves to whatever we're being told has to be true. We're finding our place in society and trying to live a Christian identity in the midst of it, in the midst of the good and the evil, but we're not resigned to letting everybody else define the world for us or define what's most important for us. What I love about this text is that he's writing to a group of people who were probably poor, who were probably slaves, who were probably women who didn't have an opportunity to do anything outside of uh, what had already been determined for them. And these people, he's saying to them, you have a new identity in Christ. You're not defined by your place or social status. You have a brand new understanding of who you are because of what Jesus has done for you and your faith in Jesus. So now, go back into your regular everyday life, which you don't really have control over, and you can't change the social structure of. Go back into that world, but see it completely differently. Don't let people put you down because in this, in this, later in this chapter, you're a woman or you're a slave. Instead, take your Christian identity into this hostile place and live differently, live so well into who you are and what God's love means to you that other people start to notice. It's not that we're resigned to letting the world define what's good and what's bad for us, but it is that we're not going to bail out of all of the context that we find ourselves in and try to create some Christian utopia. We're called to go right back into the workplaces that are hard with the hard people and the good people with the good bosses and the bad bosses. And we're going to live into the structure that's created for us, but we're going to do it in a really different way. We're not going to go in with only self-interest or only figuring out how things can be best for us. We're going to go into those situations and we're going to find ways to speak love and mercy and peace and the good news of Jesus Christ in the way in which we live day in and day out. So this is really important as you use this text, that sometimes when Scripture seems, it's saying, submit yourselves to this or that, or if you read further in this chapter when you go home, you're going to find a whole instruction to slaves and a whole instruction to wives. You have to understand that when the Bible is instructing people how to live in their current circumstances, that's not the same thing as endorsing their current circumstances. Let me say that again because it's really important for you in the way that you read the Bible. When the Bible is instructing people on how to live in the midst of their current circumstances, that's not the same thing as endorsing their current circumstances. Not at me if that makes any sense to you. Nobody. Okay, then I'll say it again. Here we go. Sometimes the Bible is telling people, like in this chapter later, it says, 
if you're a slave, here's how to live as a slave. That's not the same thing as the Bible saying, slavery is good and you should accept being a slave. It's simply Peter, as a pastor, writing to people saying, I know you can't control your slavery situation. So in light of that situation, here's how you live in it. In other places, we're called to disrupt the whole system. That's a whole other part of Christian life. But sometimes, and for most of you, you might not have control over your workplace, right? You might not get to make the rules for where you work. And so it makes sense to hear God saying to you, or, where, or your classroom if you're a student, you might not have control over how the teacher runs their classroom, but you do have control over how you behave and how you live in the midst of the conditions that are put on you. And God is saying, you can do that differently. You can do that in such a way that is so good that people will wonder how Jesus has impacted your life. And that's what we're being called to here. So I have this question for all of you to think about, uh, maybe as you go home today. What have people learned about God from working with you? Okay, you might want to write that one down. What have people learned about God from working with you? If you have tons of courage, you might even ask somebody you work with this week, have you learned anything about God from working with me? And that will give you a good picture of how it is that you're living into what God is calling us to. So one more, one more verse here I want to hit on. It says, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Peter doesn't have a hard time sharing his opinion about what he considers ignorant talk and foolish people. And you all have opinions about who's doing ignorant talk and being foolish, right? I think one of the places where we really need the church to be living such a good life that people who don't believe wonder about Jesus is actually where Christianity is being misrepresented by people who call themselves Christians. We have lots of loud voices in our country who, in my opinion, are misrepresenting Christianity in very significant ways on all sorts of, on all sorts of sides of issues. And people who don't believe Jesus, don't believe in Jesus, are forming their opinions about who they think God is in the Bible by listening to loud voices who, in my opinion, are misrepresenting Jesus. So one alternative would be to find some other loud voices, to yell back at those loud voices and try to present another angle. But infinitely better would be if we listen to the instruction of 1 Peter and say, what if the church in the U.S. lives such a good life that we actually don't need loud voices to represent us? We can just tell stories about the ways that God's people are sacrificing themselves, sacrificing for the sake of others, sharing the good news and making a difference in the world. Wouldn't that be better? When we played basketball, it was like the difference between someone who just told you about how amazing they were at basketball and the person who actually is good at basketball and therefore doesn't need to tell you how good they are at basketball. I used to be able to spot someone, if they had more than $300 worth of gear on when they came in the gym, 
I knew they probably were terrible at basketball. What if the church in the U.S. barely has to voice how amazing it is because it's so amazing? And people just find out this is the way small groups of people all over the country, groups of 100 people and 200 people and 300 people who are trying to follow Jesus together are making such a difference in the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? And isn't it amazing how Mill City Church is already in that category of people. We have been in this neighborhood a little over nine years, and I regularly hear stories from you and people outside to say, let me tell you why I came to this church. I came to this church because I heard the church was making a difference in the lives of people. I came to this church because I came across two or three people who in an amazing way were using their Saturday to invest in folks that really could use their help. I came to this church because I heard from other people in the neighborhood how invested you were in some of the things that the neighborhood cared the most about. I heard that your church helped start a program that feeds thousands and thousands of kids every weekend because you were concerned that God told you in this school that there were kids that needed food and we were supposed to do something about it. Mill City Church is far from perfect but it regularly receives visitors and people from the neighborhood and from outside of our church who say, let me tell you why I'm here. It wasn't because your website was great. It wasn't because your marketing was great. It was because I heard stories of the way you were living such a good life that I was interested to find out what was going on there. That is for us to celebrate. Amen? Let me invite the band to come back up. I'm almost done. Let me finish with just an encouragement and a challenge, okay? The church has a reputation problem. Did anybody know that? The church has a reputation problem. I'm not sure God has a reputation problem, but God has decided to connect himself with us. Most people think of the church primarily as hypocritical or judgmental. What, do, what, would, what could we do, those of us in the room, what could we do to help build the church's reputation back up so that people will have a different opinion of what God might be like through us. What could we do this week to try to live such a good life in our places of employment, in the places where you're doing your work, so that people might want to know more about Jesus? What are people learning about God through working with you? When you leave this place, you don't just represent yourself, you represent our church. We send each other out every week as we're about to take communion. We come down as we take communion to receive God's grace as a way to say we all need God's grace. We all need God's forgiveness. We're all the same in that way. And then when you turn around and go out, you're being sent out into the world to represent Jesus and to represent our church. And the challenge of 1 Peter is to live your life in such a good way that God's reputation would be built up. There's a lot at stake in this. This isn't just like, hey, try to be a little bit better person this week. We need the church's reputation to improve in order that more, more people would be willing to hear who God is and what Jesus has done for them. So when you leave today, the stakes are high. Think about maybe an apology that you owe a, co a coworker. Think about when you're in one of these boss conversations, whether or not you can't turn it a little bit and say something slightly positive 
don't email your boss all the criticisms that you can think of and all your employees can, just in case that wasn't clear. There are small opportunities every day to build God's reputation, and the world is depending upon us to do that. So God bless you as you go this week. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are our leader. You're the leader of this church. You're the leader of the church. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We're grateful, God, that you choose to use us for such important tasks. And we pray, God, that we would sense the calling that you have on each of our lives as we go out and enter into our workplaces. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you see and hear, and help us to represent you well, not because we've earned your love, but because you've freely given it to us, and we get to be your ambassadors to the places that you've called us to work. I pray protection over those people who have a really hard workplace, where the work is hard, where there's high stress, where people are having a hard time getting along with each other, where the boss doesn't care about the people they're overseeing. I pray peace into their lives. I pray courage into their lives. I pray protection over them as they go to represent you and to represent our church. God, I pray for those who have influence over the way others are treated in their company, in their workplace. God, that they would use that influence to bring glory to your name out of the way in which they lead and make decisions. Lord, build the reputation of your church in the United States of America, in the city of Minneapolis, so we don't have to shout at people, but they can look at our lives and see what it is that you're doing through us, and that you're, you would get the credit, God, that you would get the glory for loving us so well and empowering us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.